Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Who went and saw that the first time on this afternoon? And, uh, and I knew it was going to be a good movie, but it was an in- incredibly good movie. And, uh, and probably, you know, the reason why it's such a good movie is because the true story. Uh, true stories are always good. You can make a movie up out of whatever, not a true story, and that can be exciting and fun and be really cool. But when you know it's a true story and all these things are real-life events, it makes it very impacting. And tonight I want to uh, share... Another true story uh, that's in the Bible and uh, about a man in the Bible who, uh, who was, had incredible miracle happen to him when he encountered Jesus. But I want to talk about his life and, and the things we sort of see in his life when he encounters Jesus and, and try and put us in the picture of uh, what it would have been like to be there, standing there, watch this, watching this miracle take place and happen. And so... This place that takes place is in, uh, it's in Jerusalem, and it's in uh, John chapter 5, and, it just, and the Bible begins to talk to us about uh, what is going on here. And John writes that uh, in John 5 verse 1, that afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. It doesn't say they had all these holy days, these celebrations, these festivals. And so Jesus was heading for one of these. And it says, inside the city near the sheep gate. Now, it's called the sheep gate because obviously that's where the sheep came in. And uh, they actually came in through that gate to be sacrificed. Oh, poor sheep. And so, but that's what the sheep gate was called. They came in, they come into the temple, and they would sacrifice the sheep and bring them in through this gate. And so, but near the sheep gate, okay, was the pool of Bethesda. And around this pool were five covered porches. And the Bible says that crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on these porches. Blind, the Bible names the type of people that are there, blind, lame, or paralyzed. Uh, it says crowds of weren't the only types of people that were there, but it probably mentions the worst, the sickest people that were there, you know, with the most debilitating diseases or whatever, that some were blind, you know, lame, or paralyzed, and they were laying on these porches. We'll talk about what this looks like in a moment. And it goes on in some uh, other... Uh, versions of the Bible, in verse 4 it says this, this is why they're there, all these sick people gathered, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stir of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. So I want you to think about being in that picture for a moment. There's a uh, you know, I want you to put yourself in that story. Have you got that image, guys, of just that, um, of that picture that I sent through? If you got it there of the, of the, uh, in Jerusalem. Have we got the other one there or not? Yep, that one. So that is a, that's a scale model of Jerusalem at that time. And so that's the wall. A, a, guy, in, um, a guy made this. And uh, it's a red building there is the Pool of Bethesda. That's what it looked like. It wasn't like this little... Sometimes you get a picture in your head and think, oh, you read it, and you go, oh, it's like a little swimming pool. They're all just standing around it. No, it was a massive building. 
And inside that building was this large pool. So I want you to begin to imagine tonight that you are a witness and standing there on the edge of this pool. You're standing inside that red building and you're watching what's going on because there was people at that time that weren't sick that did just that. That they be, it wasn't far from the temple. It was on the way. It was in, through the, in Jerusalem. It was a busy place. There's lots of people. And so some people would kind of just be walking by. And especially this time, there's this holy, this festival's about to happen. This holy day. So there's lots of tourists are coming into town, like in Harvey Bay at, at uh, holiday time. Lots of tourists are in town and, and everyone's in town doing stuff or whatever. A lot of people would walk past that building and they, of course, if, if there's a place like you hear that, oh, there's this pool in Jerusalem that at certain times, they don't know exactly when, but like an angel would come and, and the water would start to stir and whoever gets in first gets healed. They're like, we should go and see this tourist attraction. Let's go and do that. But wouldn't you think? I don't, I don't need to be healed, but oh, let's go see someone get healed. Oh, we might see a cripple get healed. That'd be cool. We're on holidays in Jerusalem for a week, so let's just go stop on by and guys, they're trying to sell bus tickets to go to the Bethesda. And so just imagine, so I want you to put yourself in this position, okay? And so put yourself there. Picture what's going on. The Pool of Bethesda was discovered, was only discovered in the 19th century, not that long ago. It had been, no one had found it since that time. Jerusalem had been destroyed 70 years after Jesus uh, had gone to heaven and so there in it, it was found on the ruins of a church the archaeological evidence shows a pool shaped like a trapezoid all those people know what a trapezoid is i didn't know so i looked it up so it's a four-sided rectangle okay so it's a rectangle four sides but the some of the sides are this was the shape of the pool and the pool was 50 to 60 meters wide and nearly 100 meters long so that's what I mean. Let's get an idea. That's what I mean. You need to sometimes discover these things and put yourself in the picture. It wasn't a little swimming pool. It was nearly four times the size of our church. And so imagine now that you are standing in a building. You know, this, that red building is four times at least the size of our church, probably bigger than that, that one building on the right. And now you are a witness there standing, and inside this red building is this pool that's nearly 100 metres long, 50 to 60 metres wide, a massive pool. And you're standing there, and around this pool is gathered not just a few, but hundreds of people that are sick, that are lame, that are paralysed, that are blind, and they're around this pool. And they're all there wanting to be healed they're all there hoping to be healed they're all there hoping that maybe i can be the first in the water whenever this stirs it didn't the bible doesn't say it happened every day often it must have happened fairly often but at certain times suddenly this water would bubble up or stir and and then whoever got in first would be healed. Now, if you read a bit of background about that, some people sort of say, oh, well, it could have been, you know, some have mineral, you know, properties, some, they do, you can get in certain water and stuff, even around the world, and it can heal certain diseases and sickness, but the Bible says that once this water was stirred, whoever got in first was healed of whatever they had. You could be paralyzed, a quadriplegic, if you got in the water first, 
you are totally healed. That's not just healing properties of water. That's a supernatural event. So in some way, somehow, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, you can ask God when you talk to him in heaven, or I'll have a word with Jesus, but for whatever reason, it was, there was a supernatural event would happen quite regularly in this pool, and only the first person that got in was healed. Be, you wouldn't want to just miss it, would you? It's kind of like I've been waiting there for a while, and, and Rodney beat me to the pool. And so... And so you'd be, you'd be annoyed at him. Goes, oh. And so it's like, oh, I was going to be first. And so there are probably a few brawls happen around the pool of Bethesda. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to put myself in the picture. I'm just going to imagine. Because I imagine what would happen here. And so uh, in Harvey Bay or someplace, if something like this was going on. And so, and the Bible says there was five porches around it. Okay, so a porch. So imagine they're like a small um, they had, had three walls. One side was totally open, quite probably as big. It could be as big as the size of this stage on one side. And so it was just like a shelter. And so if you are there and you're sick and you're waiting for these waters to be stirred, it's hot. It's like you're in the sun. You're not going to stand in the sun all day or cover yourself. You're going to get you know, sunburned or dehydrated or whatever. And so all these sick people would torches, okay? They, they would lay and get in the shade to protect themselves. So all these porches were around this pool so there's hundreds of why are they there because they're waiting for the waters to be stirred hoping and and saying you know if I can just be the first one hoping waiting that maybe today is my day Maybe today I'll be first in the water. I don't know how long some people had been gathering there, but if you were lame or crippled or whatever, you and that was your only hope, then they would be there every day, trying to be first there, trying to think, looking at the water. What Because you, if, you're, if you're waiting for the water to stir, so what's everyone doing? They might be having a conversation, but one eye's on the water. They're all looking at the water. All their faith is in the water. All their hope is in the water. So they're looking because that's where... Their miracle lies. And so I want you to paint this picture. You're looking at that. I want you to just think for a moment that what if at Torquay Beach, people one day only stirring and someone who was sick got in the water and they were healed and they go, whoa, must be something magic about that water. And so imagine if this scenario happened in you know, on our beach, and then suddenly they said, oh, there's an angel or some supernatural thing happens, and whoever gets in that water first gets healed. Can you imagine what Torquay Beach would look like? Every day, full of hundreds of people, thousands of people going, don't you dare get in the water before me. I've been here for five days straight waiting for this water to stir. And, 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 and you know, can imagine the whole thing that was going on, people there waiting, looking at the water. This water's magic. Everyone's got to go to Harvey Bay. Everyone's got to head to Harvey Bay because there's something in the water. There's a song like that, isn't there? And so, and so, you know, and just so I'm just putting yourself in a modern day scenario. This is what was going on in this pool. And so you're there watching all this take place. All these sick people there sheltering in the porches, waiting, putting their faith in the pool, hoping that today is their day. People that could, some were blind, some were paralyzed, some were lame. Some had some kind of disease that couldn't be cured. And I said, maybe today's my day. And on this particular day, Jesus arrives in the city for a Jewish festival. 
Now, there's an important festival going on, and Jesus knew where that would have been, and, he could have, and there was lots of important people coming into the city, and so he could have went straight to the place where these people were, and he could have met these people, and they, they were expecting, or oh, Jesus will probably show up, and there, there would have been all kinds of religious leaders and people and, and, thought, and scholars and thought, oh, we might be having a conversation with Jesus. We've heard about this Jesus. I wonder whether he'll show up. And so Jesus could have went to the place where the festival was, but the first place Jesus goes is to this place pool where the lame and the paralyzed and the cripples were because Jesus cared more about the people that were the most broken than he did about being in the place where the important people were and so the first place he walks into and he often did this all the time you see Jesus walk into places where there's broken people all the time because Jesus is all about going to the most broken and the most hurting people and so he walks in to this pool walks into this place there's hundreds of people there maybe thousands of people with including people that are watching but hundreds of sick people and he walks into this place in the city and he finds someone that maybe is the most needy person of all and it goes on to say this in verse 5 one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years 38 years so I want you to think about his life because we want to talk about his life and what, what was going on in his life. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? That may seem like an obvious question. He says, I can't, sir. He doesn't know who Jesus is. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now, just listen for a minute. He's been there for 38 years, every day. And for 38 years, someone has always beaten him into the pool. That would be slightly discouraging right there, like, just to be honest with you. Just think about how is, how is his mental state, how is he feeling when for so many years, year after, not just day after day, but year after year, Hundreds of days, thousands of days, he's been at this pool every day, hoping to get in the water and be healed, but someone always beats him in. The Bible says he's been sick for 38 years. It doesn't say since birth, so which means probably when he was a, you know, a young a boy or whatever, it could have been a teenager or earlier, he had got some kind of sickness or accident or some disease in his body that has caused him to be sick. Now, it says this, that, you know, that he was actually had a mat, he was laying on a mat, he's laying on the ground, so it wasn't just that he was sick, but he was actually, and not just lame, because a lame person may still have, you have a crutch or something and get around, but he was laying on the mat, he couldn't, couldn't get in the water before anyone else, so he was obviously paralyzed, probably from the waist down, and he's laying there, trying to get in the pool and could never get there. The average lifespan at that time, for someone living, was 35 to 40 years. The average lifespan at that time when Jesus... So you weren't... Half the people in this building now, you wouldn't be alive in those days probably because of disease and sickness and people died of so many things. So the average lifespan of people was 35 to 40 years maybe. And so 
he is, can probably consider, now he might be in his 40s or 50s, and so he's considered an old man. He's been around a long time. He's been sick a long time, and he's one of the oldest people there. Okay, so we're just painting a picture about this guy to get an idea. Let's put ourselves in his position, and let's get whole, an idea of what is going on here. He's paralyzed, okay, because the Bible talks about he's got a mat. He's laying on a mat, and, uh, and, he's, and he can't get in the water. He continually gets beaten into the water, so obviously he can't move quickly, or he has to drag himself. He was trying to get to the water, but never gets there. So probably, if he's paralyzed, each day his family members would carry him to the pool and would lay him at the pool or lay him in one of the porches out of the sun, and then they would leave him there and go off to work because they would have had to work to live and they probably had to work to support him and feed him at night. And so they might leave him some food or some bread or something through the day. And he's laying there all day long. And then at night, his family members after work would come and pick him up and carry him home on his mat. And so obviously also he didn't have someone there, a friend or something like that, that could stay there with him and help him. So he's there by himself with no friends. For 38 years every day, trying to get into a pool because that was the only hope he had. And then Jesus comes into the situation and he comes up to him and he, and the Bible doesn't say it, but he probably, you know, when Jesus comes to talk to him, there was probably some kind of conversation and I'm sure he probably started to begin to tell Jesus about, you know, if you ask someone a question who's been there, he would have started to tell about he's sad his miserable life, how every day is terrible, how every day is just like I'm just trying to get in this pool and then no one beats me in and he's, and he's complaining about this and complaining about And I can understand that he's mentally he's probably like, you know, my, my life's just a mess, my life's horrible. And I imagine Jesus standing there listening f- for that for a moment. And then Jesus asks him a question after probably hearing some of this. And he says, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? Question, but think about it for a moment. He'd been in this condition for 38 years. When you've, been, when you've gotten used to something for so long, your life becomes certain things begin to happen. He'd become, you know, dependent on people, carrying his family members every day. He sees the same people every day. He's laying in the same spot every day. And so his life becomes very much the same and all that every day. And so he's been in this condition for so long. And so Jesus is asking him a question about going, do you really want to be healed? Are you, he wants to see if there's some kind of faith. Is there some kind of belief that you actually want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Some people, and I've met some people, who actually don't want to be healed. I've seen some people, met some people that, that, are ha- that have got so used to being dependent on others, and sometimes you can be so used to, be, to get attention from those that are around you, caring for you, helping you, and become so used to, oh, they're, they're caring for me, isn't this nice? Isn't this good that, oh, I'm, I'm so glad you're there every day helping me and look after me. Oh, this is really nice. I really enjoy that. And so they love the attention. And so people become so used to that that there comes to the point when it's like going, and you, you'd think they go, oh, they definitely want to be healed. But so Jesus stops, and he did this more than once. He stops and asks people, do you really want to be healed? Because if you don't, I'll keep going. Do you really want to be made well? And so we get a bit of a picture. He asks the question just to find out whether this guy really wants to 
be healed. He was really asking in this question, he was saying, do you want everything to change? If he gets healed, suddenly now you can go to work. Now you can go, instead of your family doing all the work and, and uh, meeting all your needs, now you can go do it yourself. Do you want everything to change? Do you want your whole life to change? Do you want your whole life to be transformed? And all this life that you're living now will be totally different because you won't be here every day anymore. And so Jesus is really coming to him and saying, do you want to be made well? Do you want everything to change? Do you want everything to change? Jesus would ask us the same question. It's the same question when you, when you come and give your life to Jesus. It's not, saying, not just saying, do you want to surrender your life to him or give your life to him? You're really ask, we're asking the question, do you want everything to change? You're leaving your sin, leaving your old ways, leaving some of your friends. Because if you keep hanging around those friends, you're not going to make it. For some people, even having to leave their family for a time, or getting ridiculed or persecuted by their family or friends for making a change. And so this is what Jesus is asking this man and what sometimes he will ask you or me when things, when you're saying, oh, I want this to happen, I want that to happen. And he's saying, do you really want me to heal you? Do you really want me to transform you? Because some things are going to change. Do you really want everything to change? It's going to be good, but are you prepared that everything's about to change? So... He answers, this is his answer, he says, I can't get in the well. So where's his faith? It's all in the, it's all in the water, it's all in the well. Because he doesn't know who Jesus is, that's fair enough. He has no idea who Jesus is. Hasn't heard anything about Jesus, doesn't know anything about him, doesn't know who he's talking to, thinks he's just another guy having a conversation. And so he's, he says, oh, you know, I can't, I can't get in the well. He's probably thinking, oh, great, I've got someone who's going to be my friend. If you will just sit here every day with me, Jesus, and then when this water stirred, you can be the one that helps me into the water and then I'll get healed. He's probably thinking that. And so he says, but like, you know, because that's what he's saying, I can't get in the water. I can't get well. No one helps me into the pool. Someone always gets there before me. He doesn't give a straight answer. He doesn't say he doesn't want to be healed, but he, he says that his, his faith is obviously in the pool. And now he's saying, yeah, basically, I want to be healed, but I've got no one to help me. I can't do it. It's not going to happen. And then Jesus says this. Jesus says this. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the Bible says, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now just, just think about this for a moment. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. He hasn't, he has legs hasn't worked for 38 years. He hasn't been able to walk for 38 years. And so Jesus just speaks to him. The Bible says he doesn't, he doesn't go, well, let's just pray. Give me your hand. Let's just pray and we'll see what happens. Jesus doesn't even, the Bible says he doesn't even touch him. He just looks at him and he says, stand up and walk. Stand up, get up and walk. What does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't pray for the man. He commands him with a word of power. He commands him with a word of power. 
Now, I want you to just think, if, you've, if someone hasn't walked for 38 years, there's not enough muscle. There's no way. It's impossible. Even if suddenly your nervous nerves were all working, you had feeling, and, and suddenly you got movement, for you to stand and carry your weight, there is no way there is enough muscle strength in your legs for you to carry your body weight. No, you would fall straight to the ground. And, and if you were just trying to stand someone up. And yet Jesus commands him with the word of power. And I can imagine the, word, the man laying there and suddenly he feels heat. Or there's something, his legs start shaking and something's going on in his legs. And it's like his, his strength just rips through his legs. And muscles begin to form on his legs and his legs and his nerves and everything. He gets feeling in his legs and he feels his whole body come to life. And Jesus says, get up, get up. Get up and walk. It wasn't a, oh, well, you might be good in a week. It was like, do it now. Get up and walk. And the man's laying there and suddenly there's strength in his legs and he starts to maybe push his arm up and suddenly realizes, I've got strength in my leg. And he just stands up, stands up. And Jesus says, get up and take your mat and get out of here. Stand up. Get up. He commands him with the word of power. It's not the only place this happens. When that word stand up or get up means awaken, rise, get up. It's a command to cause movement from a fixed position. Movement from, otherwise, get out of the place you're in. Get up out of that place. Of, get up out of that place where you've been stuck for 38 years. Get up right now and get out of here because you are healed. And he commands him with a word of power. It's almost like, it's almost like he didn't have a choice. It's like, he's like, oh, yeah, well, if someone helped me in the pool, be right. And Jesus says, just get up and whatever. He, the power of God just hits the guy and fills his body with power. And he didn't get, it, he didn't get laid hands on. He didn't go, oh, yeah, I, I believe. He didn't say anything. And suddenly he strengthened his legs to roll up his mat, pick it up, and walk. It's the same word. This happens more than once in the Bible. It's the same command that Jesus gave to the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof in Matthew 9, 5. When his four mates are carrying up to the roof, couldn't get in the building. Jesus packed house with Jesus there. So they cut a hole in the roof, disrupt the meeting, lower him down. And Jesus, the same command. Jesus commands him to be healed in the same way. It's the same command Jesus gave to the man in the synagogue with a crippled hand in Mark 3, 3. It's the same command that Jesus gave to Jairus daughter who was raised from the dead in Mark 41. It's the same command he gave to blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10, 49. And it's the same command that Peter gave to the crippled man in Acts. Jesus had gone to heaven, the Holy Spirit had been poured out, and they're walking along towards the temple. And there's a crippled there, and he says, will you help me? And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Get up and walk. It's the same command, which means it's not just Jesus who can do that, but you can as well, because Peter did. He gives the same command. Hadn't used his legs for 38 years, and suddenly power comes upon him like he'd never felt in his life, and his legs become strong, stands up, rolls up his mat, picks it up, and goes. The man didn't have to be in the place of his sickness any longer. The man didn't have to be sitting at the pool that he'd been at for 38 years any longer. He walked out of that place. And then he walks out of that place and he walks into trouble. Ever walked out of a place where you got healed, had a great day, 
walk straight into trouble. I don't know which cup I'm using here, but it's all good. So it says this, it goes on, it says, but the miracle happened on the Sabbath, okay? That's trouble, okay? Because the religious leaders didn't like it. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath, but the law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. That was their rule. You are carrying your bed. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Not allowed to do it. You're working. Give me a break. That's the point I would have kicked one of them. Okay, so that's like, so because my legs were now working, so it was good. But he doesn't do that. But he replied, this man who healed me, he still doesn't know Jesus' name. I find that amazing. The man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they said. They demanded. Who said that? How dare they, how dare someone say such a thing like that? Pick up your mat and walk. How dare someone allow you? How dare someone tell you to get up and walk and be totally healed after you've been sick for 38 years and a cripple next to a pool every day? How dare you walk and it's a Sabbath? You can't be healed on the Sabbath. You should be laying next to that pool, still crippled, still sick, and you should be right where you are. That's what they were saying to him. And you should stay there. But on the next, if it was tomorrow, yes, you could be healed on that day. But you can't on the Sabbath. It's not happy with you because you've broken a Sabbath rule. Actually, it's their rule. It's not God's rule. But that's what they were saying. And so they had this conversation with him. The man who healed me told me that. They demanded, who, who's, who's this man? Who said such a thing? The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. So the Jewish leaders considered this carrying his matters work according to the, work, uh, the laws they had added. And they totally missed the incredible miracle. I, that happened so many times that I don't understand how an incredible miracle like that, they you would have known the guy. He's been there for so long. He's one of the oldest people around the pool. He's been there for, he was probably older than some of them. And so there's incredible miracle. And they totally missed the miracle because they were caught so much on their own laws, which they'd added. They hear the man's defense, and his defense is this. He shifts blame to Jesus, saying, he told me to do it. He tries, it wasn't my fault. Jesus, he, you know, Jesus, he goes, the man told me to do it. Well, I, I didn't try and get healed. It was like, that's exactly what he says. And so he tries to shift blame onto someone else, onto the man he didn't know who was Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus had gone. He was out of there. And so he just kept walking to wherever he had to go. And I find it interesting, like I said before, that he didn't even stop to ask Jesus' name. Why do you think that is? He didn't even, the Bible doesn't even record him saying thank you. It doesn't, in other miracles, it records that. When, when it happened, people, and, and the Bible would say they were so, they, and they thanked Jesus. Other people dropped to their knees and started weeping, started kissing his feet. And so he didn't even say thank for, he, he was so focused on himself that he was just focused on his own healing, and that's all. He says, oh, thank you, and just walked off. Fun. So we're getting a picture of this guy. He's been miraculously healed. 
But afterwards, Jesus found him. The Bible says it could have been the same day, could have been the next day, in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that Jesus is the one who healed him. Out of this story, we get a very clear picture of what this guy is actually like. And so he, he has this, Jesus confronts him. You don't find, there's not many other stories where Jesus goes and finds someone. He didn't go and find Jesus. Jesus went and found him and he confronts him about his sin. Now, for Jesus to even do that, to go into a point and go, hey, now that you are well, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. It means that he wasn't just talking about, oh, you just, you know, you just, you just accidentally sinned or you've done something, you've made it done this or whatever he had a lifestyle of sin he had been miraculously healed but there was no there was no change in on the inside about him wanting to turn away from his lifestyle of sin so Jesus goes and finds him and he says if you don't stop sinning something worse may happen to you is there something worse? He's not just Jesus saying, oh, you're going to get even worse and you're going to get more sick. No, he wasn't talking about that. There's not a lot of sicknesses that are worse than being paralyzed for so long. Jesus is saying your eternity, eternity, eternity is so important that I will confront you about your sin because something worse is spending eternity in hell separated from God. That's what he's talking about. He said, that's going to be worse than you being sick on that mat. He said, if you don't turn away from this sin, this lifestyle of sin, then something worse is going to end up happening to you. Because remember, he's an older man. He, I don't know how many more in those days. But he is confronted about his sin. And Jesus goes and makes a point to find him because Jesus was concerned about his eternal destination. He was it was fine about him being healed, but he was just as much or more concerned about where he was going to spend eternity, so much that he goes through a large crowd in, a, in the temple and finds him and says, look, you have been made well. He said, you've got to stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the thing about this story is that we don't know the Bible at that point in time. It doesn't say that he repented. It doesn't say that he changed. We, I hope, we would hope that it's down the track at some point he did. But at that moment in time, it doesn't say that he dropped to his knees and said, yes, please forgive me. Like it does, it is recorded in other places and other conversations that Jesus has with people when he talks to them about sin. But it doesn't say he does that right then. What it does say is that the next thing he did, he went, went to the religious leaders and told on Jesus. That's what he did. He goes, he goes back to them. So Jesus finds him to confront him about his sin. He wasn't looking for Jesus. But then after he finds out who Jesus was, the person who healed him, he goes to religious leaders and says, oh, I know who healed me. His name is Jesus. Which then, if you keep reading, we're not going to tonight, but it goes on to a whole thing. They then go and find Jesus, have this huge big, they confront him and they want to persecute him and, and have a go at him because he healed this man on the Sabbath. And so this guy, instead of defending, instead of going, being so thankful for the one that has healed him for 38 years being sick, instead of going, oh, well, I'm not going to tell him about Jesus because I'm being healed, he goes straight away and finds them and says, oh, you know the guy you asked me about who healed me? Yeah, it was him. It was, it was Jesus. And so what a guy and his character. And why is this important? You'll find out in a moment. 
This is his character. So the seven things about this man that we've just learned. He was old. He might have been 40 to 50 years old at the time. He was dependent. He relied on others at that before he was healed to support him. If he couldn't take care of himself, he was probably dirty and smelly when Jesus met him. He was probably, you know, because he wouldn't have been able to look after himself properly. So this is the condition he was in. He was a complainer. He complains about how long he's been an invalid. He doesn't have anyone to help him into the pool. He's a blamer. When confronted by the Jews for carrying his um, mat on the Sabbath, he blames the person who told him to carry it. So he puts the, he goes, oh, it's not my, yeah, it was, it was that man who healed me. It was his fault. He blamed him. He was a sinner, serious enough for Jesus to confront him in the temple about his sin. He was ungrateful and disloyal. When he learns Jesus' name, he reports it to the religious leaders. He tells on Jesus rather than being thankful for his healing and loyal to his healer. And the last thing was he was unrepentant as far as we know at that point. There's no indication that he accepted and acted on Jesus' rebuke about his sin. Rather, John tells us that he reports Jesus to the authorities. So why, why is it important to know all these things about him. And why did Jesus choose to heal this man of all those gathered at the pool that day? This is what, this is what I believe. It was an incredible miracle. Do you know what the word Bethesda means? It means house of mercy. It means house of mercy. And it's simple fact of this, that God loved him so much. That the father said to Jesus, out of all those hundreds of people sitting around that pool, go and heal him. Even if he, even his, and Jesus maybe had the conversation about, but you know the sin that's in his life. He may not even turn away from his sin. I love him. Go and heal him. And, he, and it's like he's not even, I'm not even sure if he wants to get healed, God. And then he says, just go heal him. And he commands him with the word of power. And he was healed in a moment. And Jesus will go to maybe the worst of all sinners and go to the most broken people, even in our day, in our church street. And he will go, even if he thinks they may not turn away from their sin, which is important to God because he wants relationship more than some, a miracle of healing. It's all about relationship and, and, and knowing that he wants us, us to spend eternity with him. But he will go to the worst of the worst simply because he loves him. He loves them. Simply because God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. That's the reason Jesus chose him. The other thing is this, that do you know that Jesus had the power to heal everyone, every single person around that pool? And I don't know why he only healed one that day. But on that particular day, only one person was healed. Maybe all the other people weren't ready to be healed. Maybe all their faith and all their hope was simply in the pool. While the one who was the healer, who had, who had all supernatural power, who had all healing power, the creator of the universe, the one that was living water, the one that actually created the water, the physical water that they were in the pool in, the one that created all life, all humanity, was walking by the pool and they didn't even see him. He could have walked right through that crowd and not one of them would have recognized who Jesus was unless he stopped at that one man 
And because God loved that one man so much and had mercy on him, he said, oh, today is his day to be healed. You know, we don't deserve what Jesus has done for us either. But because of his mercy and because of his grace, he has also come to us. And we shouldn't have the attitude of, oh, well, thanks, God. See you later. Because I've seen people in this church even come and be miraculously healed and then never see them again. And they haven't given their life to Jesus. Exactly kind of like this situation. Miraculously healed. And they go, oh, thanks for that. That was great. And then, and I've, I know two or three people like that over the years I've seen. And most people aren't like that. But there are some that you think, how could you have an encounter with God like that and be totally miraculously healed and then suddenly go, thanks, see you later. And so we need to be so thankful for his mercy and for his grace that we need to be say, God, thank you for what, whatever. Some of us, you know, we haven't been crippled like that, but we've had healed people in the sitting here tonight. You've been healed. The greatest miracle of all is salvation. The greatest miracle is being saved from your sin. The wages of sin is death. We are all on the road to death if we don't have forgiveness of our sin. And so the greatest miracle of all is repenting of our sin and coming to Jesus and receiving him as our Savior, eternal life. And God will, this story also shows that God will pursue us even though when, because he, Jesus went and found him in the temple. He was looking for him, even though he'd been miraculously healed. And Jesus, he didn't say thanks. He didn't say thanks. He just walked off. And Jesus went and found him and loved him so much. He said, look, if you've, been, you've been healed. You've been made well. You need to stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. I love you. You need to stop. You need to change. You need to be transformed. I can forgive you, but you have to be, wanna, want to be forgiven. You have to want to turn away from your sin. You need to make that choice. It's not a choice. Jesus commanded him to be healed, but Jesus can't command you to be saved. And we can get frustrated with family members or friends that you want them to come to know Jesus, but he can't command them and say, you must be, say, I'm going to command you and force you to be saved. No, it's a choice. It's our choice. That's what creates relationship. On a keyboard play, you can come on up, Ish. I want you to think about this. That right now, you sit, we sit, in a modern day house of mercy. Every church is a modern day house of mercy. Every church is like that place, a Bethesda. It's like, it's like, there's not some special miraculous pool, but it's the presence and power of God where it takes place, where salvation takes place. But you sit right now in a modern day house of mercy. And Jesus has walked into this house. Every time you're here, His Holy Spirit, His power, His life, His presence is in this house. Same way He walked into that pool. And let me ask you this question, tension. It can be, sometimes our attention get caught up with, gee, that was a great song, and gee, that, look at that, you played, sang so well on stage. And, we get, and that can be, you know, we can look at stuff, and, but we can get caught up with all these things that are going in church, and I'd oh, yeah, love to catch up with that person, and that's all important. 
But Jesus is the most important thing. And there's been people that walk into church and and love church and love, oh, that was incredible music and all that kind of stuff, and they miss Jesus. They can miss Jesus. He can walk right by. He can stand right there, and they can, all their attention can be on what is other things that may be going on or their own problems, their own life. And there's people sitting around that pool of Bethesda with Jesus walking by and they're all looking in. We're going, I'm so sick. No one helps me. No one loves me. I'm stuck here. I can't get in the water. All that kind of stuff. And and their heads are down and Jesus walks right by. And they just need to up and see. And we can miss Jesus if our attention and our faith isn't on him, if it gets caught up in other things in life. So what has the attention of your life at the moment? What has the attention? I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking about life in general. What has the attention of your life every day? What has, does Jesus have the attention of your life? Is there a time when you, when you talk to him, you think about him, you, you focus some attention on him, have a conversation with him every day? Is, does he have some attention in your life? Is, when you're in need, is it him you turn to or is it other things? Someone else, some other people. When you're in, is he the first port of call? Is he the one that you look to when there's a need, when there's a need in your life, when you need healing in your life? Or is your attention on the pool? The title of the message tonight is Waiting at the Pool. That's what he did for 38 years, waiting at the pool for a miracle. Are you waiting at the pool? You can be in church and still waiting at the pool. Do you know people around you that are just waiting for something to happen they, and they miss Jesus all around them? And tonight, Jesus doesn't want you to anywhere else but on Him. And His mercy and His grace is in this house for you. And this message tonight could be for one person in this place and that would be fine. Because Jesus went to a pool of hundreds of people and went for one person. He went across the Lake of Galilee to a demon-possessed man for one person. Many times he traveled with, could have went many ways, but many times he went just for one person. There could be one person here tonight that needed to hear this message. It could have just be for that one person that needs to encounter God. That he says, my mercy and my grace is for you. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. 